0: Well hey everybody, how's it going? Man, it's so great to see you. Go ahead and find your seat. We are gonna have a teaching from the scriptures here in a minute. You guys, are doing it, we're doing church. I'm so excited. Uh, Thank you for making it out, braving the heat. I gotta be honest, um, my skin tone is not designed for this level of sun intensity. So I'm up here like getting melanoma or something like that. But it's all for the kingdom of God and this is gonna be a great time together tonight. I'm thrilled to be opening up the scriptures with you. So if you wouldn't mind, open with me uh, to Matthew chapter six, which is where we're gonna be for most of our time together. Um, And also just wanted to mention, if we haven't had a chance to meet yet, my name's Andrew and I'm one of the pastors. And um, again, I consider it a huge, huge privilege to be a part of leading Jesus's church. And this is such a unique time Um, to be leading in the church and to to be a Jesus follower, especially given the moment that we're living in with COVID-19, social unrest and all of it. Um, but we really believe that there is a unique thing that God wants to do in our generation and in our time. And we believe that Jesus and the scriptures have a lot to say about that. And so last week, if you were here, we, we kind of kicked things off or maybe re-kicked things off um, after several months away from this sort of uh, gathering. And we, started, and we talked about the place of encounter as being the, the starting place. Uh, for the future of the church and the question that we're asking ourselves is what will the 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 church of the future look like if we pay close attention to what the spirit is doing and if we are paying attention to what the scripture has to say what will the future of the church look like so with that Matthew chapter 6 and let's pray father We just want to say thank you so much for your goodness thank you for coming close to us in the person of jesus we thank you for a moment that we have tonight to sing praises and to sing of your victory and we long for for more of you and that's why we're here each one of us uh stop what we were doing some of us floating in the river others of us just hanging out outside enjoying this beautiful weather we decided to come here tonight because we long to meet with you experience you grow in our relationship with you. And so, Holy Spirit, we pray that you would come in a powerful way right now as we gather. And uh, we, we, we really want to hear your voice and not just the voice of, of, a, of a man, although I'm up here and, and sharing the scriptures. We really want to hear from you. And so, God, would you speak in a powerful way? In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Okay, so um, just to give a little bit of backstory here, it was the, the southern kingdom. Of Judah and they were under the reign of King Jehoshaphat and Jehoshaphat was the king during this time in Israel's history where there was a lot of war there's a lot of turmoil there's a lot of distress all kinds of it and so they were facing at the time of the story I'm about to read they uh, were uh, facing several armies that were um, had a lot more power than they did military strength than the Israelites did and so what King Jehoshaphat does is he gathers all of Judah together at the temple. And, he, and, and when he gathers there, he, he leads them in a prayer. And this is what he says. Verse 12 of 2 Chronicles chapter 20. We don't know what to do. We don't know what to do, but our eyes are on you, God. And then... The men of Judah, with their wives and their children and their little ones, they stood before the Lord. And I, this is such a profound statement about what to do in moments of crisis. So prayer for them, prayer was not like a last resort. You know what? We've exhausted all of our resources, all of our other options, and you're all we've got. That's not what the kingdom of Judah was doing at this time. They, they could be frantically going about their business, doing things in their own strength to try and win this battle, but instead they have said, we are choosing to connect ourselves with you as a matter of first importance. And this, particularly the moment that we live in, this is a kind of, you could call it suffering, that's unique to our generation that I know of, none of us have been through any kind of a moment like the one that we're in right now, Uh, sort of in the middle of a global pandemic, social unrest all around us, and all of these things, they're going on all around us, and there's lots of things that we could be filling our time doing, but what we learn from Jehoshaphat is this humility to say, you know what, I don't know what to do. Imagine the king saying that to a whole army of men and their families as they're about to go out to battle. And he says, I don't know what to do, but our eyes are on you, Lord. That's this, that that is this profound decision choice to trust in and to seek God as a matter of first importance. Um, We need to be that kind of people that's, the, that's the, the lesson for today, the moral of that story. We need to be that kind of people who seek the presence of God. Eugene Peterson, he has this to say. He says, a changed world begins with us, and a changed us begins when we pray. So seeking God's presence in prayer is all about giving God our full attention and making him and and his priorities the matter of first importance for us. So the future church, looking looking into the future, what will the, the, the church of the future look like? It's going to be a praying church. Because it's not, um, if, if, if we're not a praying church, then my, my fear is that we're going to just start doing a bunch of what we think are meaningful things. But we've sort of d- divorced that or disconnected that from the reality of who God is. And so we end up being easily distracted and doing a lot of the right things for the wrong reasons. So prayer is about giving our full focus and attention to the Lord or in the words of Dallas Willard to direct and redirect our minds constantly to Him so that we will be motivated to do the right things for the right reasons. We're going to be motivated and inspired by His will, His heart, and His truth. Are you guys with me so far? Yeah. So um, many of you know uh, that I've been inspired by the Moravian Church of the 17th century. Uh, I was this little, little small church of refugees, and they decided uh, after a moment of uh, disunity that turned into this beautiful moment of unity, they decided that, hey, you know what? We don't know what to do. But what we do know is we're going go to go fa- to the throne room of God and seek God and his face. That's what we know for sure. This is going to be the thing that defines us is that we are going to be people that seek after God. And so for a hundred years, they had a 24-7 unbroken prayer meeting, and that led to the Moravian revival of the 17th century. And we're still, whether we know it or not, experiencing some of the ripple effects of a little prayer meeting that started over 350 years ago it lasted over a hundred years and if you've been following the story of our church for any length of time you know that over easter we said man this is the strangest easter we've ever known in the history of our church but quite literally the since world war ii the church has probably not experienced this kind of disruption in the pacific northwest and so we decided you know what this is a critical moment we want to be uh, put that level of emphasis and, uh, and, and, and decide as a church to pray with that kind of resolve. And not just to pray maintenance prayers, but to ki- pray prayers of, uh, of God's kingdom coming here on earth as in heaven. And so, um, so many of you, actually, in fact, I think there are all, in, in all, there's a couple hundred of you who signed up to pray for an hour. And we had an unbroken prayer meeting for a little over a month. And I'm so excited about that. But I'm here to say that that was only the beginning of our. Our church's journey into a life of prayer is so much more than just a few prayer meetings off and on. We want to be a praying church. Seeking God's presence is going to be the thing that defines us going forward. But we have a problem when it comes to prayer, which I'm going to get to in just a second. We need to learn from Jesus. So for Jesus, prayer is woven into the fabric of his every day woven into the fabric of his every day. Luke chapter 5 says that um, Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. Luke chapter 6, one of the days that Jesus went out to the mountainside to pray and he spent the night praying to God. Luke chapter 9, Jesus was praying in private. And of course, there's also this one out of the the, the scene from the Garden of Gethsemane, where Jesus prayed for several hours leading up to his arrest and eventual uh, crucifixion. And he prays this line that's so famous, it almost becomes, um, to us, we've sort of uh, forgotten how to hear it. But it's such an important word. Jesus says, Abba, Father. All authority has been given to you. Everything is possible for you. Take this cup from me. I don't want to go to the cross. Yet, not what I will, but what you will. So you guys, these are just four of literally dozens of scriptures that I could share with you that talk about the kind of time and the the type of intentionality that Jesus had in prayer. So hopefully you're starting to recognize that prayer is, again, woven into the fabric of Jesus's daily life. And at almost every turn, especially when his life is busy, sometimes all through the night, Jesus is stealing away to lonely places in order to just simply be with the Father and to pray. Uh, But what about when he's overwhelmed and he's up against the ropes and he's about to go to the cross on the brink of disaster? What does Jesus do then? Well, that's when Jesus decides to pray some more. And he's raw and he's honest and he's desperate. Something like, God, I don't want to do what I know I have to do. If there's any way that you can take this away from me, please do it. But then, not my will, but yours be done. Of course, we all know the rest of the story, and this is what's super, super powerful. Super powerful. Through this honest, raw, desperate prayer, the Father gives Jesus the strength and the courage to take within himself the, the weight of his, of humanity's evil and to claim victory over sin and death on the cross, which by the way, you guys, is the climax. It's the climax of the story of God uh, in history and prayer is right at the center of it. It's right at the center. So the, ch- the, 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 the church of the future has to be the church that gets this, that doesn't just kind of like let it pass through their ears be like, okay, great, another sermon on prayer. What's next? No, like listen, we need to be this kind of church that seeks the presence of God as a matter of first importance. But we have a problem when it comes to prayer. Often our experience with prayer is so much different than Jesus' experience. We get the sense Jesus' vision for prayer and his time in prayer is vibrant and beautiful and amazing. For so many of us, the way that we experience prayer is it's stale, it's boring, we lose track of it, we're, we're distracted and all of that. For many of us, we might actually relate to a songwriter, poet, David Ramirez, who actually spends a lot of his, uh, his songwriting on deconstructing the Christian faith of his childhood. I don't think he uh, any longer considers himself a a Jesus follower, but he grew up in a Christian background, and now he's a singer-songwriter, goes around and plays in bars and all of that. And one of his songs has haunted me for years. He says this, How the hell am I supposed to knock on heaven if I can't even find the door? This is pretty legit wordplay, if you ask me, but the sentiment is a little bit haunting for me as a pastor, to be quite honest. And even if this isn't your like exact felt experience or whatever, I bet you can at least relate a little bit, sympathize with him a little bit. I was talking to a friend just this week who loves Jesus and we were talking about times of prayer with other Jesus followers and he confessed to me that he felt like, man, when I get together and pray with other Christians, it just feels so forced and it feels like a boring ritual. But this is so critically important. This is what I hope you get and if you get anything else, just get this. That's not Jesus' experience, and he's not welcoming you into a stale, flat life of prayer. He has something much more robust in mind. He, in fact, I think he wants to blow up that paradigm that you have. The prayer, He says the prayer of a righteous man or woman is powerful and effective. He says that, Ask the Father whatever you want in my name, and he will give it to you. And of course, that's been hijacked by uh, people who want to talk about a prosperity gospel, but the reality, it doesn't take away from the truth of what Jesus is saying. Jesus is saying that we can have anything that we ask in the Father's name, which are going to get to in a second. He wants to rescue us from our small visions of Him and of prayer, and He wants to replace it with His truth, and that is my personal dream for each of you, is that you would get Jesus's vision for prayer, and that you would put it into practice, so that you can actually confidently approach God, connect with Him, and show others where to find the door, to borrow David Ramirez's language there. So part of our problem, I think it, it, it revolves around this. For us, prayer is way too narrow of a category. Uh, we, what I, the way that I describe um, how West, a lot of Westerners view prayer is that it's like a cosmic grocery list. The cosmic grocery list. What I mean by that is, hey, God, um, you know, I really would really love the job of my dreams, please. And uh, if you could help me out with all my student loan debt, that would be really great, too. Uh, And I don't want to just pray for myself because that would be selfish. So, hey, I pray for that Andrew guy at church, too. He seems to need a lot of help. Uh, And that's kind of the extent of prayer for us. That's what we know to pray. And so, We have unfortunately shrunk and flattened down a very robust vision for prayer that Jesus gives us from the scriptures. According to the scriptures, prayer is a super broad and exciting category. Uh, Our working definition comes from Paul Miller's book, A praying life, which if you're going to read one book on prayer, this would probably be it. Although I'd have to think about that because there's a lot of great books on prayer. And he says this, prayer is the medium through which we experience and connect to God. Okay, so not just a few minutes before church or a quick little something before before dinner starts. And it's not only in a moment of crisis, it's the primary way that we connect with and experience God all throughout our life is to pray to the Father, so um, you were designed for this. You were made for this. You find uh, your home and your greatest sense of peace in the presence of God. In, for example, in the origin story uh, of humanity in the Bible, Genesis one, it says that God breathed into your lungs the breath of life which is a Hebrew wordplay that essentially means uh, that just like your body was designed to inhale and exhale air, you need the presence of God to be whole. And that's sort of the idea behind our the story of humanity. As God welcomed us to this planet, to this earth that He prepared for us, He baked into that story is you enjoying the presence of God. Okay, so that was a long way to get to Matthew chapter six. I promise the rest of this is gonna go pretty quickly. How do we get there? So if we're gonna follow Jesus' footsteps and we're gonna pray the way that he prayed, we need to listen and pay attention to the things that he says about prayer. So he teaches us to pray in Matthew chapter six. Our Father in heaven, verse nine. Hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we've forgiven our debtors, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Okay, so hopefully uh, this is not a new text for you to study, but hopefully we're going to uncover some things here that you maybe haven't seen before, or maybe it's just in a fresh way so that you can practice praying and seeking the presence of God this week. So Jesus is giving us this new paradigm for prayer, and I don't think that that means uh, that we're just supposed to recite this prayer over and over again, although I don't fault anyone for doing that. I just feel like that can become rote and ritual and stale and boring, just like anything else in prayer. So he's teaching us a pattern for experiencing and connecting with God as a part of our normal everyday life and our, time, our daily rhythms of life with God. He's just wanting to give us a pattern for how we pray. So there's a ton that can be said about this. I'm only going to touch on three parts of this pattern. It's actually much bigger than that, but we just don't have time for all of it today. So number one, if you want to know how to pray, the first thing that we need to know is we need to call out to Him as Father. Like, God is your father, which I know, again, is uh, probably quite familiar to many of you, but I wanna point out why this is actually very significant. If you're gonna, if you're gonna pray, you need to know who it is you're praying to, what he's like and what his character is like and what your relationship is to him, right? So you can't just call out to him if you don't know the basis of your relationship. But calling out to him as father, it's, it's we're, again, we're not reading off the cosmic grocery list. We're actually, uh, it's this, this idea of calling God father is redefining and reorienting our, ourselves around the reality that we are God's children. He is father and we are his, uh, his kids. He's sitting on the throne of heaven and he has all authority in heaven and earth. And he says, hey, guess what? You have full access to me because you're my daughter. You're my son. And I just love that. So A.W. Tozer, he famously wrote, what you think about God is the most important thing about you. Why? Why is that true? Well, it's true because your whole concept of reality, spirituality, life, it flows from who you conceive God to be. And that's particularly evident in how we pray. We pray based on our uh, the fundamental reality about how we believe God is and how, who what He's like. So, for example, if we have a deistic view of God, that he's far off and that he's aloof, he's not really paying attention to what's going on in your life, if that's how you think about God, man, prayer is a last resort. It's, it's ritual, and we'll have barely any faith that God is going to do anything about it or answer us because, quite frankly, he doesn't seem to care. If you think God is angry with you, you're going to be insecure when you pray, maybe even afraid of God when you pray. But if you think he's withholding, you might think, hey, you know, he, You might be anxious just about uh, the fact that he might not give you what you truly need. If God is boring to you, if the concept that you have in your mind about God is boring, then I doubt that you'll actually pray at all. I was uh, listening to a podcast by this uh, pastor uh, from New York City, John Tyson, and he had something really great to say about this. Um, He says this, Unless you break the stronghold of false images of God in your mind, you'll never be drawn to pray. The angels have been locked in a room with God for thousands of years, and they still haven't gotten past the word holy. Holy, holy, holy. If you're bored with God, you may be the person who's boring. He said it, not me. Or it could be that you're just too distracted by the trivia in our culture. When you break through that boredom, you'll be drawn to the glory of who God really is. Now, I don't know about you, I think he's really onto something. I believe that our small, uninspired vision for prayer is indicative of our small view of God, and that's not to make anyone feel ashamed quite the opposite. I just want us each to walk in the fullness of what God has, has given us and say yes to the things that he says are available to us because we are his children. I believe the, word, the, the reverse is true too, right? right? So if we correct and what comes into our minds about God is actually based in reality and it's God's size, then it's going to impact how we pray and it changes everything. And this is why in the story of the scriptures, it's all about letting us know about this god who is become human in the person of jesus it's a revelation of who he is he's come close to us he's made himself known on a deeper and more personal level than you would expect from the creator of the universe for example in exodus chapter 34 this great study about the character of god from exodus chapter 34 it's a pivotal moment in the story of the bible and when god speaks he, uh, he, he speaks his name and his character to Moses. And when uh, this is what I love about that. When we think about God, particularly in the West, we think about it in Greco-Roman categories. We, think he, we, we define him through these certain traits, like he's uh, his philosophical categories. He's omnipresent. He, he's always around. He's omnipotent. He's always powerful and things like that. Those aren't wrong. But when God describes himself in the Scriptures, when he reveals himself, Introduces himself to his people. It's crazy. There's lightning and there's thunder and there's mountains that are being torn apart. But it's deeply personal. He announces his name and describes his character like this. He says, "Hello, my name is Yahweh. I'm Yahweh. I'm rich in love and I'm compassionate and I'm gracious and I'm abounding in love and faithfulness and I keep my promises to 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 uh, to the to, to love." For, the, for thousands of generations. So we get this sense of who God is, this revelation of who God is, and he's not, um, he's not describing himself in these, uh, in these philosophical categories. He's describing himself as a personal God, and he's coming towards us as, as, as people, as ones that he's created in his image. This is beautiful. So that in and of itself should sort of uh, rock us and, and, and shake us to the core, but it actually gets better than that because with Jesus, everything changes. Something about Jesus' work in the world, it fundamentally changes our relationship to God. He says, Now you can start calling him dad. Yahweh, the creator of the, of the universe, the one who's made all things, he's revealed himself to Moses and all of that. Now it's okay, you can start calling him dad. You're adopted into the royal family. You have full access to God. These are bedrock fundamental realities that we have to internalize if we are going to be a people of prayer. And if we are going to embrace our identity as the church of the future, we need to internalize these statements, these truth claims that Jesus has said. You're not, you're just believing what Jesus has said about you. Go ahead, call him dad, you're a son, you're a daughter the most important thing that you need to know about prayer is that God's your Father and He's good. That's it. So number two, that leads us perfectly to the second sort of pattern in the Lord's Prayer. He says, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. By the way, you guys with me still? Yes. Okay. Yes. I, I heard a few yeses. That's pretty, that's pretty great. Um, so what does the word hallowed mean, right? That's, um, that's not a part of our everyday vernacular, is it? Uh, And that's probably a good thing because it's not a very modern word, but it's a very good Bible word that means to honor as unique or holy. It's got an aesthetic quality to it. It's about his beauty. Uh, So when you encounter and you make yourself aware of the presence of God around you, you're drawn to enjoy Him and enjoy His presence. In fact, um, we're still not asking God for stuff. Did you notice that? We're still not asking God for stuff. This is the second sort of pattern or rhythm in in the prayer, and we're not asking for stuff yet. And we're going to get to that in due time. But Jesus is pointing out, Uh, This much bigger reality that the primary goal in prayer is frankly to enjoy the presence of God not for all of your situations to change although that is a part of prayer the primary goal of prayer is to simply enjoy the father's company and if you're a parent you know what this is about your kids come and ask you for stuff and all of that's fine and you love to give your kids what they want in a lot of cases Not all the time, but in some cases. Uh, But what you love most about connecting with your kids is just being with them. And that is when we are most whole, when we're content and satisfied in the presence of God. One of my favorite Psalms, I quoted it probably a hundred times in my lifetime, from David in Psalm chapter 24 verse, um, or excuse me, 27.4. One thing I've asked from the Lord, this only do I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. To gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to meditate in his temple or to seek him in his temple. And then verse 6 says, I will sing and make music to the Lord. Hear my voice when I call, Lord. Be merciful to me and answer me. My heart says to you, seek his face. Your face, Lord, I will seek. I'm just hammering this point home. That the most basic part, of, most basic fundamental part of you, is that we are God's people, and His invitation is that we would enjoy Him and His presence. This is an urgent. David's prayer is urgent. By the way, he's also uh, facing a lot of war in this moment in his life as well, kind of like Jehoshaphat was. But David says, "Hey, listen. We'll talk about the battle later. The battle's coming. I'll ask you about that later. But for right now." this is the only thing that I'm after. The only thing that I'm seeking is to just to seek you and to gaze upon your beauty. Like um, the writer of Hebrews, a writer of Hebrews says, says it like this. Anyone who comes to God must believe that he is, he's a rewarder of those who earnestly seek him. And so My hope for all of us, for for us as a church, but also as individuals, that we would get this glimpse of Yahweh and that you would be drawn into a deeper and deeper relationship to Him. And this invitation is on offer for each of us. There's no one here who's got like a head start or a different standing, a higher standing with Jesus and with the Lord. We are all given this opportunity. Some of us choose to seek God's face as a regular part of our everyday rhythms. And I would challenge you out of love just because I love you guys and I want to see you experience the fullness of life that you can have with Jesus is to make this a part of your daily rhythm. We all have financial goals, and we all have uh, like um, mental health goals, and, and, and uh, work goals, life goals, and um, you know fitness goals, and all of these things. Get yourself a good goal to spend time in the presence of God. Is there anything wrong with that? Of course not. Make time to be in the presence of God. Make it happen. You have time, you can do it. This is what bro- Brother Lawrence calls this, practicing the presence of God. Desert fathers refer to it as participating in the divine life. We just want to experience and spend time with God. And here's what that does. You might be thinking, oh, that sounds awesome. But my, my right now, where, what I'm feeling in this moment is I'm feeling so stressed out and anxious. I lost my job. I don't know what the next thing has for me or whatever. There's so much happening right now and I'm not trying to trivialize that in the slightest. But what I am saying is that there's something that uniquely changes and happens inside of us when we seek the presence of God in prayer. It's just like right now my son, Judah, who's two years old. Every time he has to go down for a nap, he's really fussy in the middle of the day. Uh, All of you who are parents in that phase of life, I'm with you and I pray for you because it's a lot of work to just like keep our kids content. But anyways, Judah will get fussy uh, around nap time and the only person who can calm him down is my, my wife, Grace. And All she has to do is be physically present in the room, say a few words to him, sit down next to him, and he's out like a light. So what's happening there, it's a simple analogy. What's happening there is that for whatever reason, we haven't quite psychoanalyzed our son, that's probably not a good thing and I'm not qualified for that, but uh, there's something going on with my son where he's unable to calm himself down, he's unable to soothe himself, he's unable to deal with the feelings that he's having, but all it takes is for the right person to be in the room to comfort him and she doesn't even have to say that much, but just her presence there makes all the difference. And sometimes we're so frantic and chaotic and running around a million miles a minute that we haven't stopped long enough to remind ourselves and to experience the presence of God and realize, wait a second, he's right here with me. That doesn't mean that your situation immediately changes or all your problems go away, although sometimes it does. But what it definitely means is that you have this divine partner to take you through your life and the difficult, challenging parts of your life, you guys. This is the only reason why I can be standing here. Is because uh, because of the presence of God. The only thing that brought us any hope five years ago when Grace and I, wife and I, we lost our twin daughters at birth, stillborn at birth, um, and uh, we uh, we were totally wrecked. It was my first real bout with suffering. I hadn't really understood uh, what many of you have had to go through. But this moment um, was one of the most defining moments of my life because I was feeling a sorrow and a grief that I had never experienced before. And the only Savior, the only redemption, the only hope that we found was just simply going to God, not pretending to be something that we weren't, with all of our honest, raw, desperate, angry, sad, grieving prayers and having him meet us and to bring us his peace. And this is what happens when you enter into the presence of God, he brings you his peace. He fills you with his peace. Last thought before we're done, uh, number three. This is where Jesus says, okay, now you can start asking for stuff. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. This is the third pattern. So New Testament scholars, they tell us that um, this is the literary center of the book of Matthew. And Matthew is very intelligently done. So essentially what we're supposed to see this as the sort of the centerpiece of uh, the focal point of Jesus' message, the words that Jesus spoke, this is sort of the centerpiece of that. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So this is why it's important. There comes a time in Jesus' pattern of prayer where he starts asking and you know what? You're a daughter. You're a son. He wants to give you good gifts. He wants to answer your prayers. Um, you can all tell stories. Come up here and line up and tell stories of the ways that God has answered our prayers. So what he wants is he wants us to ask him for the things that we need and for the, even the things that he wants. I, I think I've actually seen God answer a lot of the prayers, a lot of those prayers that he didn't have to answer, but he wanted to because I'm his son, and that's awesome. But when we pray... And when we seek God, it's about this. It's about praying your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as in heaven. And Jesus lived this prayer. Remember that. He's the example, the prime example, as with all things with Jesus. He said, Father, if there's any way that I don't have to go to the cross, please, let's let's do that. But not my will yours be done. Our prayers at their best are when we recognize that we are partnering with God in advancing His kingdom. So in the West, we have to do a lot of deconstruction here because we uh, tend to have our own little kingdoms. We, the way that Western society is set up is that we are all individual like kings and queens of our own little sovereign universes. Uh, but the reality is, is that God is king, and when we come underneath His lordship and his kingship, and we uh, identify ourselves as his sons and daughters, we begin to ask the, or pray the different prayer. God, your kingdom, your, your will, not mine. Uh, again, l- last quote from Eugene Peterson. Uh, he has a lot of great stuff on prayer too. Paul Miller, Eugene Peterson, Richard Foster, they're all great. Uh, so the task is not to get God to do something I think needs to be done but to become aware of what God is doing so that I can participate in it. This requires a posture of listening and waiting and reading and just being with him to get on board with his agenda, to even notice what he's doing in the world around us rather than just rattling off the cosmic grocery list. These are the things that we think you should do, God. It's actually sitting with him long enough to get the right heart posture to say, oh, I, I know what you're after. I know what you want. I know what your heart is. And you begin to pray prayers that are aligned with his heart. And nothing can stop those prayers. Nothing can stop those prayers. And Jesus, that's where Jesus in John chapter 16 says, hey, you can ask whatever you want in my name. And I'll do it for you. Because it's that, that attitude, that heart and mind. And when you do, he says that my, my joy is going to be in you and your joy is going to be complete. when you you seek God in prayer in this way. Because of trust, because of the love of Jesus, the Father loves you and He hears you. And so we're in this dynamic relationship with God, where as we begin to make ourselves aware of God's kingdom and what He's doing around us, we begin praying these super powerful, effective prayers. That's a promise from James chapter five. Begin to pray these powerful prayers because we have been long enough in the presence of God to know what his heart is, and to pray his kingdom come. I want to end with a story. I learned how to pray. in 19, I, I spent my whole life in the Christian church up until that point, sort of radically um, converted at 17. And me and my friends uh, that summer after my junior year of high school, we just were like, I don't know what... What life is going to look like. I don't know what to do, but I do know that I'm really, really passionate about this Jesus, and so we're going to worship, and we're going to pray, and so we would spend sometimes hours on end in the middle, through the middle of the night just, just praying and just seeking the face of God, and that's where I met. That's where I really met Jesus, real satisfaction for my soul, and I went to this uh, little Bible college on, uh, on Maui, And it was a fantastic year and a half or so of my life. Sort of like a gap year program. And it was amazing. And um, I was so poor, uh, we had no money. And uh, so we didn't have a TV. Uh, The internet was terrible. This was pre-Netflix, so there wasn't even any of that. And so I would get done with my homework at night and uh, we had some friends and we would just like hang out and shoot the breeze and stuff like that. And then I would just go, you know what? Well, what am I gonna do with the rest of my time? Uh, for whatever reason, one of the first days that I was on Maui, I just said, well, I've been hearing all these great things about Maui sunset. So I walked down to the, to the ocean, which was just a few blocks away. I just sat there in the sand by myself. I watched the sun go down, watched the stars come out, watched the shooting stars start to happen. I just found myself in conversation with the Lord. I said, wow, this is incredible. This is beautiful. God, tell me more about who you are. Sometimes I have my Bible and I would open it and I'd read some scripture, just sort of pray it through. And, and it's like, wow, this is super powerful. It's like, go home, walk home and all my roommates are doing God knows, God knows what. I'm just there going, man, I, guys, I just had this awesome time with God on the beach. And I, like, man, I don't know what I've been spending my time doing all my life, but this is where it's at. Like, it's where it's at. So the next day I, I, I was like, shoot, well, Same sort of thing happened. I'm like, I guess I'll just go back to the beach then. (laughs) Just spend some more time with God. And this thing that was just sort of happenstance became a rhythm, which became a habit to where I I went the entire year plus that I was there every single night. I went like, there's nothing better to do like, I can't think of something that I would rather do than to just go and to sit at the water's edge and just have a conversation with my God. He's given me the permission to call Him Father. He's welcomed me in to His family. You guys, I've, I've, I've studied the, 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 the scriptures been to several different academic institutions studying the scriptures. I've, I've listened to a lot of podcasts. I've been to a lot of churches. I, I've taken a lot of online Bible class. I've, I've done all of these things. I have not met God or experienced God in a richer way than my times alone with God. And I got so jealous for that time. There's nothing else, like no one could distract me from getting down to the beach and just spending some time with the Lord. And what I learned is that I I would go sometimes with a ton of expectation that God's going to answer all my problems and fix all my issues or whatever else. But what I found is that's not really how it worked. Seeking God is about surrendering my agenda and just spending some time with Him. So sometimes it was like major things would happen. Breakthroughs in my spirit. Things that God would speak scriptures that he would sort of just like uh, implant on my heart but then other times it would just be just casual and and just pretty simple and just a man hanging out with his father I got to lead people to Jesus that way and in all of my life and study and all of the things that I've done nothing has made more impact in my life than getting alone with God in prayer and I I hope you hear my heart here this is why I do this roasting in the sun on Sunday evening I do this because you need him too like me this is my little attempt to hopefully invite you how many years are going to go by where you're gonna make excuses about not making this a priority in your life. I'm not saying this because I'm, I'm judging or shaming, I'm, the reason I'm saying this is because I deeply love you and somehow we've twisted this in our culture and we're missing out, we're missing out. And I'm just, your friend just like, please don't miss out anymore. Please don't miss out on the presence of God. Please don't miss out on this friendship. Please don't miss out on this opportunity. That you have to be with Jesus. My hope, my, my dream, my, my aspiration for our church is that the church of the future is gonna be a praying church. No one can distract us from the presence of God. Nothing can get us to, 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 to go to the right or to the left. We are Jesus people And that is what defines us. And from that place of encounter and from that life of prayer with God, he sends us into the world with a new vigor, a new passion, a new mission. And now all of a sudden we're doing all the right things for the right reasons. We're motivated and inspired by the will and the truth and the kingdom of God. So if you're with me, all I want, all I want for you is to jump in with me. To take some time this week. Like, put it in your calendar. I love what Paul Miller says. He, he makes it really simple for us. He's like, hey, everyone wants this. But for some reason, we keep putting it off. And I just, listen, the spiritual, like the, the, the passive spirituality of Western culture to sort of like half heartedly participate when it's convenient for us and stuff, it's just not going to be useful or helpful to you anymore. It's not going to be compelling anymore. The only thing we want is to be real, genuine, honest, raw Jesus people. So, like that, ah, let's not put it off anymore, yeah? So this is what Paul Miller says. He just said, hey, listen, it's, it's a habit, it's a, it's a rhythm, it's a routine, just like anything else. Get to bed, get up, get awake, get to a quiet place, get going, and don't stop. Guys, in my experience, it's that simple. And he'll meet you, because he wants this for you just like you want it for yourself. So Jesus, we're here, we're here before you. Love being your kids. Definitely don't deserve it, but you're so good. So as we sing about your love, we just pray that you would reveal yourself to us. Reveal your heart to us, Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen. Let's stand and sing together.